0: those who are online. I'm so excited to be joining with you today. I am part of the Roe versus Wade generation, born in 1973. From my generation on, our country has endured a scar, uh, a horrible tragedy where we do not take life seriously. When I was 14, my parents had sent me to a camp. I was flying from Kansas City, Missouri to Chicago, Illinois. And while I was on that plane at 14 by myself, I had really no idea what to do. I had brought a book along with me and I was going to read it and try to avoid conversations with anyone else. And I was seated right in the middle seat, you know, the cheap seat, the one that costs the least. And so while I was seated in that seat, Uh, A man came in and he sat right on the aisle. He was a well-traveled businessman and he had a lot to say. He kept talking to me, peppering with me with questions. Why are you going by yourself? Why are you going to this camp? What are you doing? How's this work? I didn't know what to do. Now today, if you fly and you're someone around you like that, it's pretty easy. You take out your headphones, you stick them in your ear. It's a very clear social clue. I don't want to talk with you anymore. Back a hundred years ago, that wasn't a possibility. I had no idea what to do. So I pulled out of my arsenal of weapons a question. I turned to the man and I said, if this plane were to crash today, do you know where you would spend eternity? He got quiet real fast and actually turned and faced away from me. I was a little surprised, but then I thought, okay, this was good. I got what I wanted. I don't have to talk with him. We're done. Start reading my book. He pivots in his chair eventually back towards my direction. He goes, you know what I hate about you pro-life people? I'm like, first of all, I'm 14. What is he? How did he make a connection between that question and pro-life? But he said, what I hate about you pro-life people is all you care about are the babies in the womb and you do nothing for children later. And then he turned crossed his arms, and never looked my direction again. What a weird conversation. What an odd thing to say to a 14-year-old. How bizarre to have anything like this. What was he really getting at? What he was getting at is what many of us, if we have been faithfully living out our Christian life, that we probably have heard many times from other individuals. You hear the word hypocrite. Hypocrite, you say one thing and you do another, or it's an impartial, incomplete way of working out your faith. If you have your Bible with you this morning, if you would take it out and open it up to the book of James. James, the apostle of Jesus Christ, as he is writing an open letter to churches, even in that first generation, he is saying there are serious problems in our congregations. There are serious problems in our lives where so many Christians are living an inconsistent faith. And we want to make sure that we address that. So James, as he is writing to the churches, is trying to help them understand the power of the gospel and how it works out. If you've read this book before, you get the feel. There is all kinds of practical instruction all the way through. But on this Pro-Life Sunday, would encourage us to direct our attention to verses 26 and 27. This is what the Word of God says. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is an amazing text, an amazing passage that in many respects is a culmination of this very long opening that gets to the heart that we, if we have a living faith, if we have a faith that is active, it demands from us action. A living faith, in fact, Produces action. Now, in this text, James uses a very interesting word. He says, If anyone says that they're religious, this is an odd word in the New Testament. It is not frequently used by New Testament writers precisely because it was a, a very broad word. It, it could mean almost anything. In fact, in all of the sociological studies uh, recently, pretty much over the last 20 years, there's a growing number of people who would uh, consider themselves kind of just religious in general. We see that in our own culture. People might say, yeah, I'm not really a Christian, but I am religious, or I'm religious because I kind of pull from all these different religions and i've kind of made up my own thing james is saying look if anyone even says they have some sort of modicum of belief in anything these are the things that ought to be there but since his audience is specifically christians he's trying to use this as a rhetorical phrase to help them understand that look even people who are generic believers in other things Understand that their right belief should produce some level of action. So Christian, when he's talking about this, and he says, look, if you're serious about your faith, there are some things that we ought to consider. We ought to understand how this works out. And so with this, he gives three main ways that this begins to work out in our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. Notice the first thing that he says. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, that person's religion is worthless. Now, James is going to go on and talk about the nature of the tongue. This is something that he's very serious about, and I would encourage you to be able to look more into what the Word of God says on your your own time as you study perhaps even this week. But the text of Scripture is clear. Our tongues are incredibly dangerous. Our words that we speak are so important. Everything that comes out of our mouth actually reveals our very hearts. Jesus spoke to this directly in Luke 6.45. He says, out of the heart the mouth speaks. Now friends, why does that make a difference for you and I? Well, Because what we advocate for matters. When people hear Morrison Heights say, we are pro-life. When people hear you say, I am pro-life, does that result in any kind of action that backs up, or are they simply hollow words? Does our words, are they backed up by how we vote, how we care, and what we do, and what we support? And we're going to get to some of the evidences, I think, that, that play out here. And it's all connected in this, this whole idea. We're going to see this a little bit more in the text. But let's remember that James is very clear here that if we don't control our tongues, we are revealing a false religion. We're revealing that something is broken in our hearts. Now, I want you to watch this very carefully in Romans. Paul the Apostle, he writes to the church and in Romans ten nine notice what he says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. This confession is part of how we even enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. The way that we talk about who we are, the way that we reflect on who we are reveals our heart, and it even begins with confession. Friends, if we've confessed Jesus Christ, how dare we pollute that same confession with falsehood, with slander against others. Every time we do this, we invalidate our confession of faith. Later in James 3, verse 10, we see the same thing. Out of the same mouth comes blessing and cursing, and this should not be. Friends, I would ask you to stop and to think. Even in this past week, have your words matched your faith? Do you have a synergy between those two items? The Scriptures tell us that it is our hearts that are revealed in the very words that we speak, and and we understand that we may make mistakes, we may make errors in judgment here. Thank goodness for God's forgiveness, because none of us are perfect, but where are you in this? Have we gotten so loose and lax in this that our words are not matched by our actions? Friends, this is also important if you're here watching online or if you're in this room and you have never come to a place of trusting Jesus Christ to remind you, even from that text in Romans, that it begins with us simply confessing Jesus Christ. And today there is nothing more important, even at the table here, than understanding that Jesus saves and that you can cry out to him and you can follow Jesus even this morning. That's why we speak life. That's why we speak about life, because life is found in Jesus Christ alone. That's why we support pro-life causes, because life is found in Jesus alone. That's why we speak life to others, why we invest in places like this, the centers for those who are struggling with, uh, with understanding what to do after they're pregnant, and why we speak truth into these areas. Now, notice that James doesn't just stop there. He carries on in verse 27 in this second area. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God. So we went from a negative to a positive. So here's how this is supposed to be seen in others. This religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. It's in care for widows and orphans. So with this action, James says, let's get busy. We've made a confession with our mouth. We are true in what we've said. Now it is time to give feet to what we are doing. Let's get engaged. Now with this, I want to pause and make a brief reminder. As a professor of church history, there have been seasons in the history of the church where we've gotten things confused. Where we've said that if we do right things, somehow we convince ourselves that that's what saves. The Scriptures are incredibly clear, friends, that our actions come from the root of salvation that's in our heart. From the changed life that we've experienced in Jesus Christ. We can do a hundredfold good things, but what saves you is Jesus and a relationship with Jesus Christ. We never want to get that confused. But if we've trusted Jesus as our Savior, it should be the case that it is lived out and that we begin to see this. Now, the verb that's here, this to visit, is literally a term that connotes looking after others carefully and intently so that all of their needs are met. To look after them carefully so that all of their needs are met. Let's start with widows. Widows in the ancient world, there, there was not a space for widows. They, they didn't value life very well. And when a woman's husband died, the widow was left alone. And if there was no son to take care of her, that meant she was left quite frequently destitute. There was nothing for her, no hope. And the early church took up the mantle of care For these senior saints, they cared for widows. How often in our own world do we find, and and maybe you've experienced this in your own life, how often do we find even senior citizens tucked away in a long term care facility with no one who ever even visits them? The Word of God tells us that there is a special place and a care that we are to extend. Now, in Mississippi specifically, uh, you're a church that cooperates together with other Baptist churches. Historically, Mississippi has been so strong in making sure that they reach out and care for others. And one of the ways that this, this happened historically here in this state was even the starting of the hospital system, the Baptist hospital system here. And while that's no longer a part of the state convention here, it still was something historically that was started. Historically, Baptists were engaged in starting long-term care facilities, supporting families who were caring for the aged. These kinds of things are all part of something that should remain in our minds as we care for all of life. It matters all the way from the moment of conception until the moment someone is called home by the Father. We engage in every aspect, and we serve in every single way. The other part here is orphans. Now, in the ancient world, children were seen as a burden. They were not seen as a gift. They were seen as a burden to society. The age of viability For a child was not until they were one year old. Up until the time that that child was one, you could literally toss the child in a ditch, walk away, and nobody would think twice about it. In fact, we find in the writings of the early church fathers that this is exactly what the early church stepped into and carefully began to help preserve life when they would find children who were discarded in ditches, children who were sick, children who had physical deformities, even children who just their parents didn't know what to do with them. They would come along and they would find them and they would bring them into their homes. They would adopt them and raise them as their own children. This was a totally different way of thinking. Around the year 200, the church father, Tertullian, was writing about all the different ways that the Christians gave testimony to the Roman government that the church was serious about what they believed. And while he talked about the testimony of martyrs going to their death for Jesus Christ, he also said this, quote, "'It is our care of the helpless.'" our practice of loving kindness that brands us in the eyes of many of our opponents. What a crazy notion, a crazy idea in a culture that had spun so far away from anything that valued life that the very hallmark of the Christian faith, according to Tertullian, that people even criticized was that they valued life so well. Would it be the same in our own day and time? Now, again, this is where you as a church and your cooperation with Mississippi Baptist have shined. You funded and worked with the Mississippi Baptist Children's Village to accomplish this since 1897, right? This hasn't been something that's new on the radar. This is something that has been consistent. Your church is already partnered. Why does this matter? Because it's your church living out this call. It's your church corporately saying, we believe in life. Now, sociologist and historian Rodney Stark argues. That it is actually in the care for widows and orphans that became a tangible causation for why Christianity moved from the margin of society to the dominant religion in the West. They were so different. It was their confession of faith matched with their action that became a one-two punch that leveled the cynicism of Rome and eventually brought others to Christ. Sometimes we think about all of these different things that we can do to show Christ to others, and we need to always think strategically about engaging the lost. However, friends, here is a very clear way in the text of Scripture that we are supposed to, as believers, be engaged. Finally, in this, James says, keep oneself unstained from the world. This is an idea of personal holiness. This is, again, showing publicly that Jesus is Lord. Now, this text of Scripture has long been used as a means for us to talk about the challenge of adoption in our culture. As we stop and think through how we value life, as we stop and think through, I want us to paint a big picture, and I want us to talk about how we can begin to dive into this even more as we seek to be a church, a people of God, as believers who seek to match what they say they believe with action, that their faith is understood as foundational for how they engage the world's. Back in 2004, a pastor by the name of Robbie Galinas at Colorado Community Church was studying this text. Then he began to talk to some people in Colorado. He said, hey, can you tell me a little bit more about how many kids are in the foster uh, system in the state of Colorado? At that time, he found out there were 800 kids who were in the foster system whose parental rights had been terminated. When we talk about living and working within our state systems, there's often different levels of where those kids are. They found out that there were a lot more kids in foster care, but there were 800 kids in 2004 who had no parental rights. In other words, the state was basically their only guardian. He then began to do some math. So there were roughly 3,000 active evangelical churches and only 800 kids. He wrote, There should be a family waiting for every child who loses their family. So he challenged his church, let's get busy. And they set to work. And in the span of three years, they saw the number drop from 800 to less than 200 waiting children. In the process, social workers who had seen oftentimes hollow Christianity coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And all of these children found forever homes. The simple act of trusting the Lord revolutionized their church and it changed multiple Colorado churches and families as they just simply followed the command in the text. Pure religion is this, care for widows, care for orphans. So let me talk about this in terms of a global picture. I, I like numbers, I like how they work out, and I like this. So I, I want us to paint a really big picture. I don't know if you've ever done this with, with Google Earth on your computer where you can look at the whole world and then you can just keep zooming, and zooming, zooming, zooming. And I want to do that uh, here. So let's, let's think about globally what's going on. And, and when we talk about orphans globally, it's kind of hard to get a true number on this. So I'm going to use some numbers that are defined by... By UNICEF as, as kind of the standard that's used. In 2020, they identified 153 million orphans globally, with 5,700 being orphaned daily. Stop and take that in. Even if we sift through those numbers to get a much more conservative framing of that number, eliminating potential familial uh, adoptions or other care scenarios, even if you skeptically reduce that number to only a quarter, it's still over 38 million children. 38 million children who have no one to tuck them in at night, who have no mom, no dad nothing left. Statistically, statisticians put the number of evangelicals globally at around 619 million, assuming that each of those belongs even to a large household of five that leaves around 124 million families to care for orphans. Can 124 million families not find space for 38 million children. Let's zoom in and let's, let's come in closer to the United States. Overall, the United States, we've had roughly somewhere between 100 to 120,000 adoptions annually. Around 10,000 of those has been happening internationally uh, for a long time. Obviously, during COVID season, that has almost hit Zero. But even during uh, seasons prior to that, that number continues to drop because internationally this is becoming harder and harder to do. Of those 100 to 120,000 adoptions, the bulk of those that are, that are there, more than half every year are what are called familial adoptions, where another family member takes a child. Those are things that we should celebrate because God has ordained the family as his unit of preserving life. And that is a fantastic thing for us to support. But the rest of those adoptions, roughly a third, are all domestic in the United States. Places, children that need help. So then let's zoom in to Mississippi specifically. Right now, I pulled up these numbers this week. 4,500 children are in the care of the Mississippi Children's Division right now. Children in foster care, those who are being cared for by another with the hope of reunification with their family, children in foster care have an average of three placements during their time in the system. And the average age of a child is eight years old. But let me tell you what begins to happen with that. If the average age of a child in your system is eight years old, children over the age of nine have a 50% less likely likelihood of being adopted than younger children. You can begin to see what happens. Every year, kids age out of the foster care system in Mississippi without a permanent legal family. What does that mean? Well, based on broader research with adoptive circumstances and adoptive um, work that happens across the United States, a child that never has a family has an exponentially higher likelihood of going into a life of crime and becoming a part of our criminal justice system. Exponentially higher. I mean, the numbers aren't, aren't even close to any other population. And yet these children are there. I'd invite you this week to just simply surf over to the Mississippi Heart Gallery. It's an amazing site that your state has set up to let you be able to even see the profiles of young men and young women. They don't have anyone. This week, as I pulled it up, there were 17, 18-year-olds who were saying, would somebody just take me? Would somebody just care for me? I have no one. These are kids who are going to be left alone. Now, I'm not saying that this is easy. In fact, I could sit here and tell you stories of things where it's gone hard. Because part of what happens in the process of adoption is you're bringing together brokenness. In our family, and our choice, if you saw our picture earlier... Uh, all of our kids are adopted. We went into this as those who couldn't have children. We, we tried, and when we finally had our, our first pregnancy, and we're super excited about that, only to lose our pregnancy and to find out that every subsequent pregnancy would end in the exact same result, we knew that God was calling us adoption. We'd already prayed about it. We'd already settled in our hearts that we were going to adopt even before we got married. This was part of the conversation that we had. But when the Lord took away the opportunity for us to biologically have children, this is why we jumped immediately into adopting. Our path towards adoption came from a brokenness and a loss in our own life. But for each of these kids, There's a brokenness and a loss that they've experienced as well. We don't go into adoption thinking that we're going to be saviors. We don't don't do that. Jesus alone saves. But we go in simply as servants. That's what this phrase to visit, to care, to immerse ourselves into their life and their world. And to see what God can do through us to hopefully point them to Jesus Christ. And when we look at where we are today, what are we supposed to do? Approximately 2,700 kids exit the Mississippi foster care system annually. Some of them by returning home, praise God. Some of them by going into guardianship. But many of them simply aged out. Left alone. Friends, there is a huge need. So I'm going to give us some challenges here of things that we can do from this point that I think are are justified from the text of Scripture that I want us to challenge you with. If you're taking notes, that there are ways that you can engage in this one specific thing as a kingdom oriented family. Number one, let's talk about this idea of visiting orphans and and making sure that this is something that we're aware that all of us can participate in, every single person in this room. Number one is you can get certified to provide what's called respite care, respite care foster families who already are engaged in the system. If they want to go on vacation, they are not allowed to take the children that they're fostering out of the state. Somebody needs to care for them. And how much better is it if it's inside the same community of faith that you're already participating with? You can be certified to provide respite care so that you even allow these adoptive families to go, or foster families, to go on dates or other kinds of family getaways. They need this type of care. It does require certification. It is not overly hard, but it is something that you can be involved in. Second, some of you need to pursue the option of foster care. Foster care is saying, I understand I understand that God's design is the family, and by God's grace, we are going to pray and hope that God will allow us to simply care for this child's needs while, in God's grace, there is healing found within their parents so that we can release them back to their parents or their families in a healthy circumstance. It's intersecting your life for a short amount of time so that you can care for a child. I'm so thankful for the foster families that were engaged in the lives of each of my children. Different stories on each of counts of that, but they were all families. My kids were in church from the time that they were born all the way until they came home with us. It's not changed. They, they had incredible foster parents. And some of you, that needs to be something that you pursue. And obviously, adoption. Some of you, seriously, I, and I'm not kidding, you need to go to Mississippi Heart Gallery. And you need to look and you need to open your heart and you need to pray. Is it something that God is calling us to do? So we want to get personally engaged to visit orphans. Second of all, some of us are at a phase of life where bringing a child home or fostering that's not our framework. That's not where we need to be, maybe because we're chronologically advanced or we have challenges in our own home with our own children just in a given season that we're in. So with that, we need to understand that we can still be engaged by giving resources, specifically targeted for that, so that if a family inside the context of Morrison Heights is trying to adopt internationally, that there is a way to defer some of the $30,000, dollars $50,000 in costs that can be incurred to be able to uh, bring a child home. You can be engaged in the front line with that. Third, you can serve families in your community. And this is why it's so awesome that today, on this Sunday, you have Lifeline Children's Services, the Center for Pregnancy Choices, uh, Embrace Grace, and and all of these ministries that are here, the Mississippi uh, Children's Village. You have all of these things that are available to you for you to find ways to serve. You can volunteer hours. You can go in and serve children, perhaps in those ministries. You can give to those ministries that are doing great work in your community to make a difference for the sake of Jesus Christ and these these children that God is working in their lives. Finally, you can pray. At the end of the day, dear friends, this is an issue that we can't escape the gospel ramifications of. It should not surprise us that the Apostle Paul when he talked about how our salvation works, he used terminology of adoption to reflect the nature of the gospel. That God, through Jesus Christ, took those of us who were far away from him and brought us near. Those who had no hope, he gave hope. Those who were isolated and doomed to further isolation, he brought near in the person of Jesus Christ. So friends, we can begin to pray that God would work in our hearts and our lives, that he would open us up to seeing his work in us, so that we can be a church that reflects the goodness of Jesus Christ. Let's rise to the challenge morrison Heights, let's rise to the challenge. Friends, if God's word tells us something as a command, let's not miss it. Let's not miss what God can do through a church that actively lives out their faith, a faith that demands action. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, as we think about your word, it is so rich. And it speaks to us. The timelessness of your words speaks to us, to our hearts, to our lives. These words written by James some 2,000 years ago about the nature of living out our faith, how our faith produces action, is such a clear call even in the 21st century. God, as we've already prayed. Lord, we do pray for our Supreme Court justices as they are considering these actions. And Lord, we beg of your throne that there would be a disruption of the abortion industry in our country. God, we pray that you would rise up in our churches. More congregations like Morrison Heights determined to intersect the lives of birth moms and the lives of children to care as your word tells us to do. God, I know that there are families today who are in this room and who are watching online who need to be able to surrender to your call in their life towards serving more directly, either through foster care or adoption God, I pray that you would begin to open their heart even more towards this, that you would connect them with the resources that they need to take the next steps so that you can work through them to show the light of Jesus Christ. Thank you for your love and grace for us in Jesus. We pray all these things in your Son's name. Amen.